Well, amen. We want to go on with uh, Romans chapter 6, don't we? Romans chapter 6. And um, And we read these words, Likewise, reckon, in verse 11, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know you not? that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Amen. It's um, really, uh, it's quite easy to understand now, isn't it? How many people find it easy to understand? Hmm? You all find it easy to understand now. Uh, because really, we've explained it all, haven't we? Hmm? But it's not quite as simple as it looks. Uh, and so, uh, we need to go on because you'll have some surprises lower down. Where you think you've comprehended it, you'll discover you haven't. Uh, uh, and tonight I want to just deal with verse 11, uh, which we haven't yet begun to look into really. We only touched on it. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be in dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you remember we 
last uh, meeting, we actually worked out what the word reckon meant. And who remembers what the word reckon means? Yeah, but there was one word that began with C. Conclude. Conclude. And we've got to conclude. Now we conclude. And what did likewise point us out? What did it point out to us, likewise? Well, it was in the same manner as that which had gone before, which had happened to Christ, wasn't it? And therefore, you see, uh, the way that the verse was used, we saw, couldn't be the way that Christians try and use it. And you remember, there were five things that I said it didn't mean. Do you remember what they were? Six in all. Well, there you are, you see, you know. So I just preach the same as I did last time and it saves uh, wasting time. Um, did you not all write down the six things that it didn't mean? It does not mean that I should die to sin as a Christian because it says in the verse, I died I'm to reckon myself already dead to it in the same manner that Christ died. Now what did he die to the reign, the realm, and the rule? In other words, he came under the law and he came out and in the same way I'm no longer under law, I'm in grace. All right? Now you all understand that. Secondly, it was um, not a command to die to sin, which is the way evangelicals would take it. Uh, thirdly, it was not to reckon that sin as a force is dead in me because sin still works in my members which are upon the earth and my members of the body. Uh, and sin never was a force in Christ. Therefore, if Paul was saying that I've got to die um, to sin as a force uh, in me, then the likewise would be nonsense in that verse. It's talking about the realm of sin in the spirit. All right, and then you remember the fourth thing is sin is not dead or eradicated from me. I've got to uh, reckon myself dead to sin. And in a new realm, it's not that sin has become dead because sin is ever-present, Paul says, with us. All right? Uh, fifthly, uh, it's not dead while I'm living in victory only and alive when I stop living in it. Because if that were the analogy, then it couldn't be like the Lord because he never, ever uh, was only dead to sin when he didn't walk in it. He never walked in it. So it can't be that analogy. And sixthly, uh, my reckoning uh, won't make me dead to sin. Do you remember? It can't. There's no way I can reckon myself dead. Um, no, I don't. Who wants to copy who? Um, and there we go. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you begin to see what the scriptures actually say, you find that what you were taught is total error. 
and uh, what people have taught you in the past, you know, in especially evangelical circles, you get a Moffat Bible or you get one of those other pagan things, uh, and they are really, they'll mislead you. And if you get a New American Standard Version, or should I say perversion, it'll mislead you. And if you uh, read a Bible by someone like J.B. Phillips, uh, that will be an awful thing, terrible thing. It's not a Bible, it's a, an anathema. Um, that man, he, he claimed to meet C.S. Lewis when he was dead. C.S. Lewis came and sat on his sofa and talked to him. Well, of course, that um, shows the spirit that J.B. Phillips had in him. Uh, it wasn't a Christian one, um, and I hope none of you ever read the junk that he produces. Um, because you'll certainly be in total error if you do. And so, I um, don't believe Kenneth Taylor, the living Bible. The only thing living about Kenneth Taylor's Bible is he made over a million. And um, he's living well. Uh, and, and you have to realize that a lot of these people have misused Scripture and abused Scripture and uh, it's a terrible thing, isn't it, when men make money uh, by uh, so-called translating in their own way what God's Word says and putting their own interpretation on it instead of keeping as near to the original as possible. Uh, the Living Bible is only a paraphrase anyway, and it never should be read by anyone. And so we go on. Likewise, reckon you yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Now, what I said before, uh, um, what I said last time, was one of the things we have to realize is that when we're dead to sin, uh, we're talking about positionally, aren't we? Hmm? Well, aren't we? Now, if it's positionally, it's important that I understand it's a positional thing and not a thing that is something that's practical. It's not something that's experimental. It's something that's positional. It's a fact. Because if I try and make it experimental, my conclusion is any time I sin, obviously this verse isn't true of me. If I believe it's experimental. Isn't that so? If I've got to reckon myself dead to sin as Christ was dead to sin, that's dead to the realm of it and translated into the kingdom of light. If I'm one of these people that takes the word, you know, and believes the word, brother, and, you know, just live on the word and stand on the word and bury the work, and I get this reckon yourself dead to sin, and then the next thing I fall flat on my face the next day after shouting hallelujah in a meeting and, getting all worked up and frothy at the mouth and, you know, everyone's dancing and singing and banging tambourines and wiggling their backsides and they walk out the meeting and bang, down they go. When they go to McDonald's, they eat too much. And um, immediately they're down the Swanee River and the immediate thing is, oh, I can't be born again because if I was born again, this couldn't happen. Now that's if you take it as experimental 
instead of realizing its truth as fact. It's nothing to do with your experience. How many of you remember being put in the grave with Jesus? Anyone? How many of you remember how it was to be crucified with Christ? Anyone? Well, you can't possibly remember it. You're not 2,000 years old, Jackie. Well, no, only 79 or whatever it is. 82 then. Well, I don't know. 78. Well, what? I should hope not. Of course you can't. You might have had a vision of the cross and you might have seen how crucifixion became part and got a revelation of how uh, you died in Christ. But one thing is sure, you never remember what it was like because you weren't there in actual fact. Though in truth, you were crucified in Christ 2,000 years ago experimentally, you didn't suffer that death and agony on Calvary, did you? Well, did you or didn't you? No, you didn't. And you did not experience being put in the tomb, did you? And a great stone being rolled over the face of it, did you? Nor did you experience on the third day the glory of the Father waking you up and bringing you to resurrection life and you going through the top of the tomb, did you? Did you? Well, how many of you experimentally remember it? Come on, uh, wh what about anyone? But it's true that in him you rose, isn't it? But it's not an experience, it's truth. It's something you know because God says that's what's happened. It's not something that I can say, oh, I remember the day. I don't. I'm not that old. Whatever the rumors are. I'm normal. I'm born. Well, I, I've been born normally. I wasn't found under a gooseberry bush. I was born normally, and 38 years ago, I do not remember what happened 2,000 years ago. Now, I might have had revelations as to some of the things in the heavens, and I might have had revelations as to Calvary and what it meant. But the fact is that experimentally, I haven't experienced it in the same way that Christ experienced it. Now, that's true, isn't it? Well, isn't it? It's true for you all, isn't it? No one here experienced crucifixion. Anyone like to say they have? Right. Anyone like to say that they experienced going into the tomb? No? Anyone like to say they experienced the day the glory of the Father raised Jesus from the dead? No? You haven't experienced it in the sense that you actually partook of it. True? Now, what we've got to understand is in verse 4, it says, Therefore, we were buried with him. You remember the tense was wrong there. It's Greek aorist. We were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For since we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we'll be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead nigheth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon or conclude yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what I'm saying is, these are truths that have happened to Christ. They are doctrinal truths that have happened to Christ, and they are true of you. Because you were baptized into Christ, because you were united with Christ, what happened to him happened to you. You were dead, buried, and rose again. But if you spend your time trying to experimentally experience it, you're going to have problems. Aren't you? Because if you died 2,000 years ago in Christ, to experience something that happened 2,000 years ago is going to be a terrible effort. Isn't it? Well, isn't it? I mean, let's be logical about it. It's dash stupid to try and experience something that happened 2,000 years ago. Now, you see, what a lot of Christians tell you and what a lot of mummified idiots turn around and preach is, oh, brother, you've got to learn how to enter into his death. Well, how can I? It's over. You've got to know how to experience your old man buried with him. Well, that's stupid. The tomb's empty, isn't it? Now, there's no way I can experimentally experience it, is there? Now, there's no such thing as some Christians, and especially stupid charismatics or idiotic holiness people or pathetic brethren or supercilious evangelicals can get you to go and experience something that happened 2,000 years ago and is not going to be repeated. Because in that Christ died unto sin, he died unto sin once and forever. He's never going to do it again. And if you're in him and you try to experience dying to sin and Christ died it to it once and forever and that was the end of it and came right out of the reign, rule and dominion of sin, how can you, if you're in Christ, possibly experience death to sin? Well, how can you? Now even... Chris should find that logical, don't you, Chris? If you're in Christ, dear brother, what are you? Oh, well done. Well done. You're eternal as well. Are you? You have eternal life, don't you? This is eternal life to know Jesus Christ. 
You know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So you're eternal, aren't you? So where's your problem? Now you see, what has happened is the intellect of man wants to earn his salvation. Now we're saved by fun, grace. And that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of lest ah, lest any man should boast. Now, if it's not of works, it's by faith, and righteousness is imputed without the works of the law, then it means my trying to die to something is trying to earn my salvation, isn't it? If I try and die to sin, what I'm trying to do is earn a way into Christ. But I can't. I've already died in him. My old man was crucified in him 2,000 years ago. I was buried with him in baptism into death, like as Christ was raised from the dead, and he dieth no more. Now if I'm raised and planted together in the likeness of his death and being raised with him, how on earth can I possibly die to sin? I couldn't. Therefore, I could never experience it. Therefore, what they're holding up to people is the carrot of a great deliverance and experience of dying to sin, you know, and getting rid of all your bondages when the stupid apes should realize, and, you know, it's the only thing that sometimes convinces me that Darwin might have had some ideas I know it's not true because creation is true, but sometimes the apes that walk around this creation with their monkey ideas, you wonder whether they were descended from the, um, you know, the gorillas. You know what a gorilla is, don't you? It's a place where you cook monkey toast, gorilla. Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, but the, the thing you have to realize is um, that... <laughs> I've got very useless thoughts in my brain. But um, the thing that you have to realize is that you are dead. You died. There's no way you can experience death to sin. Now, one of the problems is you'll be like someone who says, but what about this problem in my life and that problem in my life? I've believed in Jesus I've come to Jesus, but this is wrong, that's wrong, and this is a problem to me, and that's a problem to me, and something else is a problem to me. Well, how does it all fit in? Have you ever thought that? I mean, if what I say is true, that you're dead to sin, you've been crucified, and you're dead, how does it all work that you still sin? Now, that must be a question, mustn't it? Hmm? But I've already given you the answer, so you know the answer, don't you? There's sin in the flesh. In other words, the power of sin and the reign and rule of sin is in your members, your flesh, your body. And that's why it um, goes on, let not therefore sin, let not sin therefore, in verse 12, reign in your mortal body. Now, sin 
can reign in your mortal body if you permit it to. And that is where the whole crunch of everything begins. Now, what I was explaining to uh, um, some people last night, they were asking me about this, uh, and we'll deal with it in factual terms, because that's easier. Now, one of the natural desires in a human body um, is eating, for instance. It's a natural desire, isn't it? Now, one of the awful things about um, uh, people is that if they get that disease whereby they don't want to eat and they lose the natural desire that God's given, and I can't think what the name for it is now. Yeah, quite. Um, When they get that, they begin to die and waste away and people have died because they've got that disease that you just mentioned anorexia in their bodies and so they don't eat but normally a normal person suffers hunger if you don't eat and I remember when we went around the world with Ed um, one of the things that perturbed me in Israel, the temperature was about 120 in the desert, and we were going out to see this um, uh, Masada. Masada, that's right. And we stopped off at a little place by the Dead Sea, and we must all go there one day. It would be nice to all go and have a look when we can afford it. Um, And... um, we went out to this place and there was a uh, by the Dead Sea and they were watering the plants and it was so hot it was about 120 or so uh, and that was in the shade you know and in the sun it would just you know you'd peel like a banana and so we got out and they were watering the plants and I broke the holes off one of the uh, sprinkler systems and we just stood under that hose pipe, I tell you, and hosed ourselves down, and it was the best thing we could do. Now, we were driving with the windows open, and unfortunately, uh, that time, next time I knew better, but that time we hadn't got air conditioning in the car. I tell you, the next time I went, we paid extra and got a big car with air conditioning when I went with John Miller, but with... um, Dad Miller and Robert, we hadn't got air conditioning. He said, oh, it's not worth it. But at 120 degrees, I tell you, it's worth it. Um, and we were driving along, we got out, and we watered ourselves down. One of the things they did, you see, uh, my wife and the others, they went for a swim in the Dead Sea. Now, swimming in the Dead Sea, I can see no virtue in Firstly, because it stinks from about 200 yards, you can smell it. It tastes the most foul taste you've ever tasted, that I dipped my finger in it and just had a lick, and it is horrible. Um, If you've any cuts on you, it will cure them. (laughs) And if you've any sore spots, um, let me say the salt will be very sharp. Now, you can't swim in it in actual fat because your body um, just kind of 
floats on the water and that. It was amusing to watch people trying to swim. You can't go along in it. It's like pea soup, uh, except it's water and you float on it. And um, now while they were there, now one of the things the millers have is they have breakfast in the morning, and that breakfast was a staple diet because we were living in kosher hotels. Because in Israel, most of the hotels are kosher. And you don't go to an Arab hotel because in an Arab hotel, they always just eat with their right hand. I won't tell you what they use their left hand for, but just to say they use it in their ablutions. And therefore, and they tend to prepare food with both hands, and knowing what they do with their left hand, I don't want it stuck in my food. So if you ever go to Israel, you don't go to where there's an Arab restaurant. You go where there's a Jewish one and kosher food. But they used to serve you up with cheese, all different types of cheeses and stuff. And I don't like cheese, so breakfast wasn't the best meal of the day for me. I used to eat lots of toast and marmalade. But then they wouldn't eat till 6 o'clock in the evening. Now, my natural thing was about midday, my backbone would find my stomach attacking it. <laughs> and there would be this terrible fight inside, and I could feel my stomach twisting around my backbone trying to eat it. And I got hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. Now, it didn't seem to affect them, but it jolly well affected me. And so while they were swimming in the Dead Sea, I found a restaurant and went and had a good meal. <laughs> Let them suffer. And uh, <laughs> I found it terrible. Talk about mortification of the flesh. At 120 degrees, it was awful. And then we went up Masada. Now, Masada is something else. You go up this whacking great thing in a lift, and we went on one of the kosher days. Now, there's nothing wrong with kosher. Believe me, kosher food, when it's not breakfast, kosher food is delicious. But we went up this mountain, and you go up in a kind of lift, a ski lift, and it's about 2,000, 3,000 feet. It's, w I don't know, it's a long way up anyway. If you jumped, you'd hurt yourself when you came down. Here you look up and it's miles, and you can see people down the bottom like ants. So it gives you some idea. And you go up and there are sheer walls up it. But there's a little stairway in this wall, and you can, if you are stupid enough in that temperature, you can actually walk up. We paid. And we went up in a chairlift. Now, when it came to time to go down, Robert was still taking photographs and wanted to stay. Ruth and I got the last chairlift down. We weren't going to stand up there because on a holiday, they close everything down evening time at 6 o'clock, I think, because it's sunset. Anyway, the sun was setting and it was still hot. And they said they'd walk down. And I said, God bless you, May. You keep your own, you know. And I'll see you later. Because there was no way I was walking down thousands of feet. And just with a stairway, with no rail on one side, and able to look down and see the rocks below, which you might become scrambled egg on if you miss your footing. Uh, <laughs> other people might be brave, but I wasn't. And, and knowing that it would take me two hours to walk down it in the steaming heat, 
and already my shirt was sticking to me and my trousers felt as though I'd had an accident and my socks were that soggy. I thought they'd step off at night. Um, it was hot. I've never known it so hot. Terrible heat. Now, being in Uganda, it's never been that hot. It's dry heat. This was humid heat. Humid and hot. And so we went down. Now, my natural desire was to go to sleep when I got down the bottom, except it was so hot, who could sleep in that heat? And I was grateful when we got to a hotel and there was a swimming pool which you could plunge into. Uh, the only thing that put me off is when I got out, this 22-stone woman asked me if I wanted a massage. I took one look at her and said, no thanks, and ran for my room. <laughs> um, but um, when we went there, they, they, they plaster you with mud in this place. You know, it's meant to have health-giving properties. Um, and so they'll cake you in mud. <laughs> I know, David, you know. And you'd smell, I would imagine, for about a week afterwards. So I declined a kind offer. And my wife didn't even bother to listen. She just marched off. But one thing I noticed, that my flesh had certain desires. One of them was to get into a cool room, into clean sheets after a nice swim in the pool, and just flake out. And that was it. Except, of course... They put us in a room, and there was a problem with the air conditioning. We had this terrible noise going on all night. So we didn't pay for the hotel room. No, we got free lunches the next day, complaining about the noise. But I was that tired, it didn't wake me up till I'd had a good sleep. Um, but there we are. I thought, well, if it's a kosher restaurant, why not get... What did annoy me, too, I could never get a cup of tea after my meal was kosher, and they wouldn't let you have milk. And I told them I wasn't Jewish. They still wouldn't give me milk, because I'd have meat. Terrible thing. Um, and that was one of the problems with Israel, but can't have a cup of tea. And they all stand up at grace, you know, they all stood up at grace, and they'd suddenly put their serviettes on their head, and yum chum chee tum tee dum dum and they all go off, and you're kind of not sure whether to stand up, sit down, or scratch your whatever. Uh, I, we didn't know what to do, because all these people were up, they were around, you know, got their serviettes on their heads. They looked ridiculous. <laughs> Don't understand how Jews get so fat if they eat through their head. Um, but they all stuck their serviettes and off they went, you know, chum, chum, chum. And it was quite an experience, really, wasn't it, love? And they had a Gentile section. Uh, our table. Um, we were the only ones there. Um, and, and it was... Um, Mind you, it didn't, you know, they were all Orthodox Jews when it came to the dining room table and standing up. But I noticed that they had a film show at 10 o'clock at night, and it was Last Tango in Paris, the unexpurgated version. So they were Jews while they put the serviette on their head. Um, but I wouldn't like to say when they went in to watch the film, and they were all racing to watch their, that film, 
what they were. We didn't bother to go and watch it, thank you very much. I didn't want to see that film. And I'm surprised they allowed it in Israel. But that's the way it was. It was a holiday, wasn't it? I can't remember what it was. Pardon? It was Bar Mitzvah. No? John says no. What was it then, John? He doesn't know. Well, Lorraine would know, but she's not here. Um, I can't remember which holiday it was, but it was one of the holidays. And hmm? Oh, it was Yom Kippur. Yeah. Or whatever you call it. Yonky, Yonky what? Yonky doodle too. <laughs> anyway, one of the things I learned is my flesh had desires. And my flesh really is one of the things that governs my life. And all my feelings govern my life, don't they? I get hungry and I get hot and I get thirsty and I get weary and there are things I like and there are things I don't like. Um, and, and really, a lot of life is governed by your outward sensory feelings. I mean, for instance, um, it's no secret that um, man has sexual desire and so does woman. Now, sex, there is nothing evil in Basically and intrinsically of itself, sex is just something that makes the world go round, according to the song. And, um, well, at least um, I don't believe that, but what I mean is, you know, um, the birds and the bees, if you understand what I mean. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with sexual desire. It's normal. Now, there is no way of getting rid of sexual desire. Thank God. Um, there's no way of, of eradicating it from your physical makeup um, because it's part of you. Uh, sexual desire is as natural as hunger or thirst. And it's just God, God put it there. And so it's a normal thing. Now, what is bad, in the same way as eating, you can overeat and you can become a glutton and you can become a wine-bibber and you can become an awful, fat, hairy monster. In the same way, your sexual desire can dominate your life until it becomes the driving force of your thinking. Um, but there is nothing intrinsically wrong with a desire, what's wrong is the fact that you let it reign and rule. Now the reason it reigns and rules is because because of the fall and because of the fallen nature, sin has reign in your mortal body. Now inside of marriage, um, sex is perfectly, uh, the marriage bed is undefiled and therefore uh, that is one of the reasons God ordained man and woman to marry and to procreate. Now, please do not be one of those stupid belief people who believe that sex is only for procreation, or you'll miss a lot of fun in life. Um, it's not just for that, although what you sow, you'll reap. I met a brother who once said to me, he said um, he was a Christian, and he said he believed that God would only cause him to have the children that God desired 
and so he wasn't going to take any precautions. But after four children, or is it five? You've got now, Dave. Four children. Four children. Now, after that, he realized, I said, there is a law in the scripture which says, that which a man soweth, he shall always also reap. I said, brother, you just keep sowing, and you're going to find you'll get a harvest, you know, nine months later. And you need to see the logic in that. And his wife was always very ill in the pregnancy, and it's a wonder she didn't die. Um, now, we had to learn that there's a law about sowing and reaping, but there is no way that God expects you, A, to lose your hunger, because if you do, you'll die, nor to lose your sexual appetite, because it's a God-given thing, and it's to be mutually enjoyed um, by both parties. And um, it's to be participated in often and enjoyably, and that's it. In marriage, now there's, that's a good thing. And any person who's got an aesthetic or an idea of holiness that uh, would go against that or contrary to that is anti-God. They've got a devil in them, not God. It's a totally wrong idea. Now, of course, unfortunately, it's got perverted and twisted, and I wouldn't want to participate in the perversions and the twistings of it and all the other things, and those are awful and evil. But the desire itself is a natural desire, and, and, and one must realize that. Now, I, when I'm dead to sin, what I'm not dead to is the normal natural desires that I have. Obviously, I'm not dead to them. If I were dead to them, I couldn't live. And when Paul talks about mortifying your members of your body which are on the earth, he doesn't mean that you, what you've got to try and do is stop natural desires. But what he does mean is you've got to stop them from ruling you. Now that is the thing. Now unclean habits and, and all that are, are wrong. And, you know, they mustn't rule you. Um, and you can have victory over them. But they still, the power of sin works in your mortal flesh and you've got to buffet it and bring it into subjection. In other words, you mustn't let your flesh have its own way. Uh, there's no good, uh, there's something about, um, let's give you an idea. There is something about television that's a trap for many people. And especially when you've seen a trailer of a film. Have you ever noticed that you'll turn on the news and and just after the news, they'll tell you what the good is or bad is after the night, you know. And you'll look, and they'll give snippets of what happens in, in this film or that film or something else. And you can think when you look at it, oh, that looks good. You turn the thing on, and you sit there for an hour and a half, bored to death. There's about two minutes of excitement in the whole film, and the rest of it's a load of junk. And you wish you hadn't wasted your time sitting there watching it. Now, the only reason you watched it is your appetite was wetted through your eyes and you feel guilty about it afterwards. But the thing that trapped you and snared you was the trailer at the beginning. Now, advertisers 
are expert in picking out about the 30 seconds <laughs> of film that have the only bit of interest in it and sticking it on the screen so that gullible you and I will decide that it must be a nice film to watch and we sit there watching it. Hmm? Now that's what they get paid thousands of pounds a year to do, con you. Now they call it <laughs> business, but I mean it's an absolute rip-off, isn't it? And the advertisers will tell you, I, I watch some of the adverts and honestly they are something else. I mean, the one I used to remember most of all was, if you have that Colgate ring, do you know you can get any man you want, you women? Uh, now, because you've got the ring of confidence. Now, I mean, do you really believe that junk? Uh, I mean, we're normal, intelligent human beings. How can we be so stupid as to sit there and watch it? And do you know even a black hole can't eat three shredded wheat? <laughs> but I can. <laughs> so my stomach must be worse than a black hole. Because <laughs> I've eaten three shredded wheat. Um, and I can't eat the spoon. Um, and, and you look and, and you think, well, they've got all this idea. But what are they appealing to? They're appealing to your natural desires, aren't they? And that's, that's really the thing they go after, your natural desires. Now, your natural desires, as I say, aren't sinful in themselves. What is sinful is when your natural desires become the dominating thing in your life. And in your mortal body, sin reigns. Now, what is sin? What is sin? Pardon? And doeth it not to him, it's sin. What is sin? What is sin? Who knows what sin is? My body aches so much, I don't know where to put it. Who, wh what is sin? Pardon? What is sin? Peter, what is sin? It means missing the mark. That's basically what it means, missing the mark. In other words, it's not living up to the way that God's demands and requirements are. You miss the high mark of the prize of the high calling. All right, that's sin. In other words, not true. Lots of what you said is correct. It's the pride of life. It's um, all types of things. But basically, sin is missing the mark. That's what it means, missing the mark. And what I'm saying is this, that a lot of us live not really concerned about what the will of God is, but we're more concerned about 
our ourselves, aren't we? Hmm? Rather than what the will of God is. Now, I've got to know what the will of God is for my life and I've got to fulfill the will of God. I've got to do what God wants me to do. I've got to seek to find out what God's desire is for my life and I've got to live that, not what I want. I've got to know what God would really like me to do and I've got to faithfully serve him. Now, obviously, I've got my flesh and my natural desires which will want to go and serve myself and serve sin and do what I want, but I've got to mortify those desires and I've got to seek to find God's will for my life and walk in that. And that is what it means. Now, when I'm born again and I become dead to the reign of sin and to the rule of sin, for the first time in my life, I can do what God wants me to do rather than be governed by my sin nature. Because my old man's gone, I'm totally delivered, now I can do the will of God. And that is what being dead to sin's all about. Now sin still reigns in my mortal body, and that it will affect my desires, and it will provoke appetites. And in fact, you'll find there's appetites and desires that crop up in your mind and your heart and your body which were never there before you became a Christian. Some things that never troubled you before suddenly become a terrible problem. Now the reason is because the devil wants to trap us and then he will tell us if we fall that we never ever got converted anyway. You know, oh well if you do that, how can you say you're a Christian doing that? Now the truth is, it doesn't alter the fact that I'm totally delivered from sin, I'm a Christian. What I do won't change that providing I've had a real new birth. And I'm talking about someone who's had a real encounter with God. Nothing will change my standing in Christ. It's true. I'm totally delivered from the power of sin. What I'm not delivered from is the power of sin in my mortal body. In my spirit, I'm delivered. I'm transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And nothing will ever put me back into the kingdom of darkness. What can happen is sin can reign in my mortal body and I can be so trapped in that that I never ever get any fruit unto God. But I can't ever be lost. I'm eternally saved because once I'm translated from one kingdom into another, the devil can't get me back. My eternal salvation is secure. I never need question whether I'm a Christian or not. Because when I'm truly born of God's Spirit and I've been translated into the kingdom of light, I know that I'm in the kingdom of light. And whatever happens in my outward life, whatever my experience is, I know that I'm a child of God. I know I'm a son of God. And that is why it says in the scriptures in Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. The word of my testimony is, I'm a son of God. I know it. I just know I'm a son of God. Why? Because I do. I'm a child of light. I was translated from kingdom of darkness to kingdom of light. Now, of course, in everyone's life, you must know a time when the power of sin was broken inside, when the whole spring and wellspring of your life changed. Now, one of the ways you can know it is before you become a Christian, you can do anything with impunity. Your conscience doesn't bother you. Once God's really met you, it's very miserable to go against God's will. There's something inside you that keeps gnawing at you. 
That's a good sign that you're in light. Now, it doesn't mean you're walking in light, but it means you're in light, and you better repent of what you did. Now, it doesn't mean because you do something wrong that you're not a Christian, or that you're not delivered from the power of sin in your spirit. You are, and you eternally are. And you must understand that. And so, what I want to do is, over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk. That's about being dead to sin. Next time I want to talk about being alive unto God. But I just wanted to explain it because people had asked questions and I want to always make it plain that from next time on we're moving from the positional into the experimental. And may God really lay it home to our hearts. Don't ever question your salvation. If you've had a real encounter with God, no matter what happens in your life, Nothing will alter that. If you've been born of God's spirit and translated from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, you can never, ever be lost. Now, that is if you've had a real encounter and a real experience. And I put a big if there because there's a lot of people who've had an emotional change without a real encounter and no nature change. That's different. But I'm talking about people who've had that real encounter. They know there was a day, and they can point to a day when their life was transformed, when that change came, and they knew the power of sin broken. Now, things might reassert themselves, but you always want to look back and know that in that day you were translated from one kingdom to the other. No matter what happens in your life, you can never be bound again by Satan. Your flesh might bind you, but Satan can't. Sin might rule in your mortal body, but Satan can never trap you. No demon, no devil, nothing can trap you. You're a member of God's kingdom of life. And in that day, you're going to be perfected. If you carry on sinning, what's going to happen is God's going to chasten you. He'll do all sorts of things to bring you to your knees. He'll bankrupt your business. He'll cause lots of problems to happen. He'll do all sorts of things. But basically, if you're one of the elect and you've truly been born of God's Spirit, there is no way that you're not going to be like Christ when he comes. Now, he'll use every method to get you there, and you won't like some of his methods. So the easiest way is to do it the easy way, obey him, do his will, and mortify the flesh. Do it the hard way if you want. The only one who's going to suffer is you. God won't suffer again. He died for sin once and for all. You'll be the only one that suffers. Uh, because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges or purges every son whom he receives. So unless you learn to mortify your flesh, God will help you to mortify it with his dealings. And you must understand there is no way in which you can be lost. Now, we want to move on to the experimental from that standard understanding of truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for your word and for your love and for the truth that we are sons of light. Lord, that we've been begotten again to a living hope. Teach us, O oh God, how to mortify the deeds of the flesh and live according to your will, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.